My guest today is one of the most visible and successful businesswomen in the United States. She has held senior executive positions at Pepsi, Beats, Apple, Uber, Endeavor, and most recently Netflix. But honestly, it would just be easier to call her by what she is at her core, a badass. I'm speaking to Bozema St. John, or Bose, as she is known by her friends, about the many triumphs and the tragedies she's experienced on her journey. There's a, there's a lot we can talk about, but I've picked a few things. And one of them, when I was thinking about you, yeah. is, you know, you've worked in American corporate world for most of your career, and mm-hmm. yet you're definitely someone who thinks outside of the box mm. and you've created opportunities for yourself and you've really rewritten the rules. Mm. And I'm wondering how that has worked for you within the confines of corporate America. Mm. Oof, that is a complicated question. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, listen, you, know, you don't, you don't know me, but I go in for the stuff. I like it. Like- I like it. I like it. It's complicated because our definitions of success or making it work vary so much, right? I think somebody on the outside looking in at me would be like, holy shit, she's highly successful. Because they'll look at my resume, they'll look at the titles, they'll, you know, the companies, they'll say, that is a successful person who has done it her way. Um, And I look backwards in my career and I see all of the shards. Mm all the sharp edges, you know, um, that what I thought success was going to look like is not the road I've been on. You know, like, I, I think I've done well. I'm proud of sure. myself, you know, like, I'm like, girl, yeah, you did it or you're doing it. Right. But gosh, could it have come without the struggle, without the pain of it? without the like trying to fit in and then being rejected and then trying it again someplace else and then being rejected. And then, you know what I mean? That doesn't, that doesn't feel like success. So I think it's, it's like that our definitions are so different in how we perceive having made it or that success that when I look at it, I look at myself, I'm like, yeah, you've done it all right. But I don't, I don't look at it in a romanticized way. I've often thought about, about what would my career trajectory have looked like if I hadn't have had to fight so hard? Like if if I didn't have to expend that energy to what it took to forge a path where one didn't exist. Yes. It would have been different because that's exhausting. On top of doing the job, you've got to forge the path. Yes, yes. I have a really good friend who, um, her name is Vivian Kay, and uh, she has this expression, like, what would Chad do? You know, she's a Black woman and uh, an entrepreneur. You know, it's like, that's that's like the hardest thing, right? And um, she said, she always, you know, to like give herself a little more like, you know, oomph or like, you know, some ballsiness. She'll say, what would Chad do in this situation, you know? And I often think about that. I'm like, yo, if I was Chad, who would my career look like? For me, it's been, it's been difficult to get to do something that so few women get to do. I mean, when I look at what I do, so few, few women like have their own shows or get to interview people on primetime Mm -hmm. television or, or whatever. And certainly for you, it's like you got hired by Beats, Uber, Mm -hmm. Netflix, Apple, like these are some of the biggest companies in the world. Yeah. And so you repeatedly got hired by them. So something is obviously working. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it, yeah. we're talking about, we're talking about the journey. And so the journey to get there. And then I was also thinking, you obviously come into a company to do what Bose does re- really well. They're hiring you for a reason. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but how is it when you get in there and how do you handle resistance when you're pushing for a company to head in a certain direction? Mm. Internal politics don't support that vision. So you got, you signed up for a job and you're like, yeah, I'm here yeah. to do what Bose does. But then you get in there. It's like, oh, okay, maybe this isn't so easy. How <laughs> do you handle that resistance? Right, right, right. Well, you know, it's so interesting because like when I think about um, the idea of like, you know, well, gosh, doing what I do, 
right? And doing it very, very well, which is the only reason, by the way, that I've been able to be in the companies or, you know, have these titles, right? And it does take me back to this thought that like, oh, well, if I was somebody else, how would this work, right? Because look, the, the truth is, and look, all of us are sometimes afraid to say it openly, which is that I do have to be 10 times better. I do. Of I have course. to be more brilliant. I have to be sharper. I have to be faster. I have to be more intuitive. I have to be wittier. I have to be sharper. You know, sometimes I have to be meaner. <laughs> and, and resilient. And myself. And resilient. Yes. Resilient and resourceful. You know, because to your question, it's like when I come into a new company or by the way, if strategy, strategy changes inside of the company I'm already in and the job changes, because that happens to a lot of us, right? You're doing one job and then all of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, the business is going this way. We need to go over here, you know, and you're now forced to have to figure out new strategy, new ways of execution. And you have to take a whole bunch of people with you. You have to become resourceful figure out who the allies are, right? Uh, in a constantly shifting environment. And I'm not a stranger to having to reintroduce myself. You know, I, I really did like jump up with recognition when I first heard that Jay-Z lyric, you know, allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Bose, you know? And I'm like, yeah, let me just tell you just one more time, you know, because you may not be aware. And it is that, kind of process. You know, when I was a kid, my parents moved around a lot. You know, I was, I was moving from country to country. Like we are families originally from Ghana. Uh, and you got used to reintroducing yourself every oh, city yeah. you went to every city I went to. Yeah. I had to tell people how to say my name, right. You know, because look, that, that kind of stuff is important. You know, you want your identity to be respected and you want people not to just casually call you whatever they want. You know, and, and that even though sounds superficial, it is absolutely deeply rooted in your own self-worth and how people mm. view you. You know, it's like well, all of it stems from that. Yeah. I mean, even yeah. you, even you saying that you welcome the opportunity to reintroduce yourself because you're a Bose that mm -hmm. comes from the knowledge that you are you and that you bring what you bring to the table and that That's you're, right. you're you. That's right. That's right. And people have to buy into that. You know, yeah. it's like any, it's like any kind of relationship that you would forge. It's the same when you enter any new environment of a company and you have to take a lot of people with you, they have to believe you, you know? So this isn't so much like, you know, like a dictator or a totalitarian where you come in and you say, this is my way or the highway, you know, it's like some of it is true, but any good leader knows that you have to also do the balance. It's a very delicate balance very. of taking in information, making sure people feel like they're heard, and then also giving direction so they know that, oh, you know where the hell you're going, but you listen to me. And therefore, I can trust that you're going to take that information and make the right call. But and so do it's you, a combination of those things. But do you, do you often feel like you, you already know what it is you're doing and that you just have to listen to people to oh. be polite or is it that no. actually no people have some great ideas that are additive to, to the vision that I yeah. had. Yeah. No, I, I think that's the first, the first way to failures. If you actually think you already know the answer, there's no way, I don't care how brilliant you are. There's no way you come into a new company, a new organization and feel like you already have the answer. You mm -hmm. may have an idea of what to do, but like, I'll give you a perfect example. When I um, joined Uber, it was at the height of the delete Uber craziness that happened to the company, right? One day it was like Silicon Valley's darling. The next day it was like in the shitter, you know? And it was Let's like delete Uber everywhere. What was that? <laughs> Let's get Bose in. We need help. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, she's the fixer. You know, she's yeah. the brand guru. Get her in here. Let her turn this thing around. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you know, this is what I do. Like, I, I'm great at that. I have good instincts, blah, blah, blah. So I come in, I already have a sense of, of what the issues are, right? It's like, there's a lot of issues of trust, you know, like people would say, oh, well, no, they want, you know, to see these numbers of people over here and they want these policies over here. I'm like, no, 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 they don't trust you. That's the problem. They don't trust you. And so it's like, okay, I have some ideas of what it's going to take, but I didn't know the, the experience of being a driver, right? Which was a complete outlier to me. I knew, of course, 
what it felt like to be a passenger and a writer. I knew what it was like to be now an executive inside of the company and understand the the atmosphere and the culture, but I had no idea what it meant to be a driver. Did so you I go undercover? You did. Totally. Of course. Yeah. I drove all of them. I drove Uber X. I drove Uber Pool. I drove, wow. drove Uber Black. I drove all of them so I could better understand from the perspective of like, why do you do this? What why? was your experience? Oh man, it was so, it was so eye-opening. I swear. Like it was so incredibly eye-opening. First of all, I didn't, I didn't appreciate how terrifying it is to by the way, just take away the woman thing and the black thing. Okay. It's like how terrifying I can it try, is, but, <laughs> but how terrifying it is for anyone, um, to pick up a stranger, know an address, try to follow a map, look at the directions, know that they're staring at the back of your head because yeah, they're you behind missed you. A, oh, you can't see them. And they're bringing all the energy. You know, it's like, maybe they're sad. Maybe they're upset that somebody else is going to take it out on you. Maybe they're excited. They're in a hurry. Maybe they want you to take it slow. You don't know what you're going to get. And somebody brings all that energy into the car. Now you got to be almost like a counselor. Wow. By the way, not talking to them because they don't want you to talk to them. Right. <laughs> like, it was like, they check that all- box. Do not yes, talk. You, got, you do not want all- talking. Do in the not car. talk to me. Right. Like, yeah. Don't even look at me. Don't look at my, in my direction. You know, you've got all these things going on with this other person, but then you also have your own reasons for driving, right? Perhaps it's that like, you know, you're trying to save money to go to college or you're trying to buy a new house, or maybe you're just trying to put dinner on the table, you know, but you've got all of these things happening. Oh, by the way, your own emotions, the the shit that happened to you, you know? So it's like understanding for me, what was going to be the connector point between drivers and riders to build trust between those two people was actually the magic to turning around the trust for the company. Now, I would never have known that had I not sat in the driver's seat. Never, not in a million years. I so knew how trust did you do was the that? issue. How did you do that? Well, first, it was about humanizing the drivers. You know, because people, riders, take them for granted. You know, they abuse them. They think they're not, they're lesser than them. Don't see them as people. No, not at all. You know? And in fact, one of my favorite cohorts, uh, was what I ended up calling the mommy drivers, the ones who had like toddlers at home. Um, they were stay at home moms who would drop off their kids at like daycare or something like that, you know? And the, the problem with daycare, especially in the U S is that it's like, you know, four hours long or something like what in the hell are you supposed to do for four hours? That's anyway? crazy. But not earn enough money to pay for daycare. I mean, exactly. And not enough time to do anything else. Yeah. But they would drop off the kid at daycare. Um, They would run a few errands and then they would pick up riders on the way on like in between and therefore make some money also. You know, and then when that was done, they go pick up the kid and go home. Like and it was just so fascinating because I'm like, well, what is that about? Right. Some of it was about freedom. Some of it was about, you know, having their own self-possessed ways to earn. Um, some of it was about distraction, <laughs> you know, there was all kinds of, let reasons. me get out of my house, changing all of diapers that, and all doing of that, whatever, but it's like, on. how do you, for, for me, it was then creating stories about the drivers. Right. And I did it in big ways and small ways. I, I partnered with LeBron James, um, and Kevin Durant, who at the time were the captains for the all-star game. And the thought was, okay, we're going to put them in the car. They're going to talk to a driver. The driver was Kerry Champion, who is a good friend and a sports journalist, and um, have them talk about anything that they want to talk about. And it was the first time that LeBron talked about what it's like to be a Black man in America, even when you're wealthy. And the time when he had the N-word spray painted Mm. across his gate, and he had to explain to his sons why that was. You know, and Carrie is sitting in the driver's seat. She's trying to pay attention, you know, make turns, get him to where he's going. And he's like divulging all of this very deep stuff, you know? And it's like, I think what, what was happening as you watched that was like, you know, if someone of that stature, you know, can get in and I'm not encouraging everybody to become a counselor, but it's like, if somebody like that can get in and trust the driver with this very valuable piece of information, then isn't that driver also human? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't we be also interested? Like it's a, it's a very, um, you know, it's a, it's like a, it's like a relationship that deserves a return. 
Yeah. And that was successful, right? That repositioning. Yeah. Highly successful. How, How do you know what to do in a company? Because these are not small companies. These are not yeah. like mom and pop startups here or whatever. These are giant companies with, yeah. you know, massive investment and publicly owned some of them. Like, yeah. how do you know what to do? How are you so intuitive with coming into these places and being able to create narratives that are based in humanity, but are ultimately speaking a language which isn't mm-hmm. part of a company principle? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, you just you just said what the magic secret sauce is, is human connection, you know, across everything. There is no company, successful, big, global, that is not connected to humans, you know, that doesn't behave like human interaction. Yeah, like the emotions that we have, you know, and so that is part of it. But how do I do it? Or how would an executive do it, right, to come in and know what to do? I don't mean um, an executive. I mean you, because yes. you are really specific with your right, perspective. Right, right. But the, the answer is still the same, which is that you have to have a balance of vulnerability and a lot of humility. You know, and the vulnerability allows you to actually not know the answer and go searching mm. for it. Because again, I think the biggest issue, you know, that a lot of people would face, which sometimes I have also been guilty of, is arrogance. You know, thinking that you already know the answer when you're totally misguided. That's how people fall, you know, that and that's how like campaigns go bust when you think, you know, the answer. By the way, like I said, I'm not immune to that. I've certainly had my my times where I've been like, oh, you know what? This is exactly what the people need. This is exactly what they want to hear. And then you did it. Did it work out? No, there have been lots of times where it was just like, oh, that was a disaster. That was what's, not it, what's an example of that? Oh, God. <laughs> um, let me think of a good one. Um, like what's oh, a real clanger? I know, I know, I know a good one. Oof, God. Okay, so so I was at Apple. We have just launched Apple Music for like the second time. It's going great now, right? Everything's good. Apple Music was reintroducing itself. Yes, exactly. After a year, like the first year, you know, was a little rocky. Second year, bam, we're out here. Okay, things are great. And um, Mary J. Blige who is, happens to be a good friend, but also obviously a, a talented artist, um, was trying to find new things to do. You know, it's like, obviously we know her as a beautiful musician and singer, um, but she wants to also flex a little bit in different creative areas. And um, because we had the opportunity to do some TV, you know, with like, there was content beginning to be made at Apple that it felt like, okay, we can plug into that. Um, she really had the desire on her heart to do a talk show, uh, which, by the way, brilliantly called What's the 411? I mean, come on, so clever, so witty. Uh, and it was great because the idea was okay, she's going to have these very personal conversations with friends of hers. So we had a list of the people, you know, she's lots of cool friends. Jayla was on the list. It was like great people on the list. And then she said, you know what? As like her first episode, she actually didn't want to talk to any of her so-called friends. Yeah, because it's very hard to to interview your friends. Yeah, well, that part also. I do it all the time, it's difficult. She wanted to talk to Hillary Clinton, who at the time was running for president of the United States of America. I actually did that interview. (laughs) I thought, oh my God, like this is just like, I don't even, first of all, how are we even gonna get the interview? You know, because every every journalist wanted to interview her. You know, she was turning down things left and right. No, I, I actually, Bose, I did that interview. I did the first announcement with Hillary when she announced did you? she was running. Yeah. Oh my God. This is, and by the way, I don't know how I got it either. I just, I campaigned for that thing and Look, I got it. Exactly. For she my was show. like the hottest ticket. There was yeah. no way we were going to get that interview, you know? But we wrote the brief, you know, sent the pitch in and she accepted. And so uh, she flew in, you know, Mary prepared like she prepared better than I've seen anybody prepare for anything. You know, she looked great. She had great questions. She practiced for it. She sounded awesome. Day came, Mary's sitting in her seat. She does the interview of her life. Like it is remarkable. Hillary talks about her mother. She talks, she talks about things that she's never talked about. Like it was, it was phenomenal. And in the interview at some point, um, 
because, you know, we had been talking about br police brutality and blackness and the challenges, um, Mary went down the path of asking her about that, like what her opinion was. And um, she referenced a song um, called American Skin. Um, and by Bruce Springsteen, by the way, an amazing song, but she decided to do a rendition of it, a cappella. And so here I am, you know, backstage, like off to the side. And I'm so thinking, far, this sounds really good, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Like, this oh, is working, this idea. Everything is great. Like she does. And when I tell you that this rendition, like Mary, th this is why she's such a brilliant artist. She was sitting down. You know how hard it is to sit and sing when you're sitting? Sitting down. She had not warmed up. There was no rehearsal. She didn't even have water. Like, and homegirl sang this song from the depths of her soul. And it was like, she, she, that nickname that she has a queen of soul, like she, she killed it, crushed it. And even to the point where Hillary had tears in her eyes, everybody was crying. We all had goosebumps. It was great. So then it's time to market the show. Right. And I'm like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm not doing the regular sizzle, like, you know, with like the sound bites and the da -da -da -da, and then the, you know, cool graphics. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to use a bit of that moment where Mary sang because mm -hmm. it was powerful. And we'd never seen Hillary cry. Of course you want to see that. Yes. So cut that into 30 second commercial, 60 second commercial and let that joint rip. And it was a disaster. It was a disaster. It was a disaster because for black people, <laughs> they felt that Mary was doing what is called like shucking and jiving, performing for white people, you know, doing the thing where it's like, Mary, like you've got Hillary Clinton, who is just a storied politician, brilliant woman, change maker, activist, feminist, and you're just going to sit there and sing for $2? Like, is that what you're going to do? And they murdered her killed her all over. I mean, it was a disaster that like Twitter was going, you know what happens when it's like, it just starts railroading. Oh, it yeah, was terrible. No, all about it. It was terrible. And I felt awful. I mean, it was, it was such a fail. It was such a fail because I, I felt in the room, right. I had felt the goosebumps. I knew what happened. I knew the magic. I had misread what the culture was hmm. going to demand of Mary. And so sometimes it's like, look, I, I, I think I know pop culture really well. I think I'm one of the most intuitive marketers because of that reason. Like I pay attention. I'm reading the room. I'm like feeling the air, yes, yeah, which way is it going? It. Yeah. You know, I'm not waking up and just writing strategy. That's going to be executed eight months from now. I'm waking up on that eighth month and saying, what's happening outside. Absolutely. And then executing, you know, and I missed, and it was, it was so terrible because, you know, Mary was in a tough time in her life also. Um, and I felt like personally probably let her down in a, in a major way, not just professionally, but personally. And, you know, it was, it was a really hard thing to come out of, um, her show didn't make it, you know, for, for various reasons, but that was one of them. And, um, it was one of the greatest mistakes I think of my career. Thank you for sharing that with such honesty and vulnerability. I think it is so important for people to know that everybody fails. Mm. Everybody fails. Yes. It is not to do with not failing. It is what do you do after that failure? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because by the way, you are allowed to feel all the feelings. You know, it's like, I'm not going to pretend like I was some bulletproof person who's went to sleep that night and then woke up the next day and said, ah, you know what? <laughs> Dust myself off, you know, fall down seven, stand up eight. Yeah, that right. Happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so it happened. Yeah. I was scared. I was terrified. I was sad. I was embarrassed. Mm. You know, I had all of shame, the, all, shame. Oh, all of that huge yeah. shame. How oh. do you walk in, you know, into the next meeting, into the next campaign? How do you sit across the, the, the table from another artist and promise that you will deliver, you know? And this, they're thinking, oh, I saw what happened to Mary J. Of course. Of yeah. Course. yeah. And you're the brilliant marketer who's supposed to handle my yeah. campaign. Oh no. Yeah. You know, and then by the way, second guessing every decision after that. Mm, so how could it's you know? a long, it's a long process to mm -hmm. heal. It is. Yeah. Gosh, I'm listening to that story and I'm thinking about how 
you started your career, your first paying job was as a phone operator for AT&T. <laughs> My God, how did you even get that? See, you're a great journalist. This is why. <laughs> so like, how the hell do you even know that? <laughs> because I did my research on you, Bose. And amazing. I, you're amazing. That was really fascinating to me. Yes. That, that was your first job. Can you imagine? Oh my God. Do you, I do, really think they even, do you think they even know that? I don't think they know that. There's no way they know that. Watch, AT&T is going to come off you tomorrow to be that CMO. <laughs> Because as far as I know, you don't have, I don't know if you have something else lined up, but watch AT&T is going to come off. Exactly. Wouldn't that be the story, right? Right. Like I started out my very first job, like sitting there, hello, AT&T, how can I help you? (laughs) You know, you still got it. You still got it. I still got the cadence. I mean, look, I I helped all kinds of people. And by the way, just to date myself, when operators really were necessary to connect international calls, that was, that was what I was doing. Imagine Inva- invaluable. I mean, like, come on. I, I spoke to people from all kinds of places, you know, connected them to their loved ones. And then, you know, you'd have to stay on the line to make sure that the connection Did you hear conversations. Oh, yeah. All the time. Oh, yeah. You would you'd have to stay to make sure it actually connected that they that they began their conversation and then you could drop. It was part of the training. You know, so yeah, I heard all, oof, I heard all kind of stuff. I mean, it was like, you know, somebody connects and the first hello, they start screaming. Or they cry or they ask something mundane and you can tell the tremor in their voice that they, there's actually something really important they're about Mm. to talk about. You know, it's like picking up all of those human. You're so observant and intuitive. And it's, it's like, I'm hearing your, your intuition with human behavior Mm. and how Mm -hmm. deep that is. And to have that, to have that level of empathy and intuition, most people who have that have experienced a lot of a wide range of emotional things themselves. And when I was reading about you, I was taken with how much loss you've experienced in your Mm. life and starting with, well, I don't know if this was the first loss, but certainly your daughter Eve was born prematurely at seven months Yes, and did not survive. Yeah. And then your husband, Peter died from cancer. Yeah. And that was both within a few years of each other. Yeah. And I was, I'm so sorry Hmm. that you had both of those experiences. And I'm, and I'm wondering how those losses have shaped you. And I know that's a really big question. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, um, I'm sorry, Bose. Can I just ask you, are you comfortable with me asking? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Um, you know, because I, I say this, to um, my teams all the time too, you know, people that I work with that, uh, and I know it's like hard for people sometimes to bring their full selves, you know, to situations, but um, I find it almost impossible, you know, to be two or three people at the same time. You know, it's like, I'm a, I'm a better executive because I'm a widow, you know, I'm a, I'm more empathetic because I have suffered the loss of a child prematurely. You know, um, my college boyfriend uh, committed suicide and left me the voicemail. Mm. You know, like the, my understanding of grief is so complicated and because of the different types. Yes. And so I think I'm a, I'm a better human because of those experiences. And that's, that's, look, that's taking a lot of therapy in order to be able to say that. Yeah. You know? And I understand what you're saying. And that is why un- observing your intuition and your empathy, I knew that you must have had experiences in your life hmm. that challenged to, you to keep your heart open. Yes. Yes. And, you know, very much like what we were just talking about with, um, the whole, like, you know, get knocked down seven, stand up eight. It's, you know, the process of keeping your heart open is like an active choice. Yes. It's an active choice. It's an everyday choice. Sometimes moment to moment choice, you know, that um, being not unafraid because that's the wrong expression, but being brave enough to say, you know what? (sighs) 
this could end horribly. You know, something devastating and terrible could happen, but I've got to go anyway. I've got to still be anyway. It has given me some freedom, actually. In, in what ways? Ah, because I've been at the very bottom. Multiple times, it sounds Multiple like. times, in different ways, because sure. they're different bottoms. We didn't know that. I didn't know that. I'm, yeah, there's a lot of them. Who knew? Like, oh my God, another Ooh. one? Yes, they're different. <laughs> it's like, you know, they, like the seven stages of hell? Yes, there are. And they're probably 12. <laughs> at least. At least. There are, lots, there are lots and lots and lots, you know? There is, and and by the way, it's not just even grief and like the death of a person, but grief in the loss of trust or the loss of a, a re, another type of relationship or loss or of a, a dream job, or identity. Or dream. Yeah. Yes, all of those things. They are different griefs, you know. And and I have been at the bottom of so many of them that I now feel more free in my life because I know that I can survive those mm-hmm. things. It is much different, I think, if you have not been there because you're afraid of the thing you can't see. Of you're course. afraid of the thing that seems like so, like it's not fathomable. Like the worst thing that you can imagine exactly. has happened to, and, and you what, have survived. That's exactly, it's exactly right. It's like, yeah, what if the worst thing happens? What if the worst thing happens? Then what? And I have been there already. And so now it allows me to live life in a much more free way. It doesn't mean that I am unafraid. It doesn't mean that I'm not concerned. It doesn't mean that when my daughter goes to the mall, then I'm not calling her every 15 minutes to see how she's doing. She probably hates that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it doesn't stop me from doing those things, but I am a freer person because I understand that should the worst thing happen, I will still survive. I'll still be here. And not only survive, but you can also thrive within yes. that, That's which right. I think is really important. That's right. Yeah. And it's important yeah. for us to see people who have been, who have faced the abyss multiple times mm. and who have stood back up. What, yes. what, however long that process took, by the way, and that's that fine. That part. Yeah. Cause it can take a very long time and you need help also. Yes, that's no crucial. That. that is crucial. Help. Whether professional or, you know, with people who care about you, who have the right intention, you know, like I've had lots of lots and lots and lots of help, you know, and, and trying to find the people who will help, you know, cause it has also been tricky, right? Because well, as you um, said, with the right intentions. Yes, because look, people can love you and advise you horribly. <laughs> well, they may not have resolved their own stuff. So well, the lens through which they're giving you their guidance can be yeah. distorted. That's right. That's right. Like, and they will put their own fear in you too, right? Yes, very so much so. They will say the things that you're like, wait, but I'm sorry. I thought you were supposed to give me encouragement, you know? Yeah. And they're like, no, I'm just trying to protect you. I'm just yeah. trying to help you. I'm trying to help you think of all of the scenarios. You're like, I, like I already think of them. And, I- and whatever you mentioned, I already thought of that too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But so it's, I, I just, um, I wish those things hadn't happened to me, by the way. I, I wish they hadn't. I wish I was sitting here telling you, you know, more flower covered stories. Um, but I am, I am grateful that I not only survived, as you said, but able to thrive in spite of it. Yeah, you certainly are. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that insight and wisdom. Um, You know, I I actually have noticed on your social media Mm -hmm. how you regularly speak about your husband who died Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you wore his wedding ring to your daughter's birthday so that she could know that he's always by her side. And I thought that was so beautiful and so powerful. Mm. And I wanted to ask you, how else do you keep your late husband's memory alive for your daughter? Yeah. Well, you know, what's so interesting. Um, I don't even know how to put this. Um, I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever packed him away. Hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm really like in this moment trying to think about, I don't think I ever did, you know, because she was four when he passed away. 
And by the way, talking about people to support you, I had a very, very good friend who happens to be a, um, a um, psychologist who said, you know, that I should be honest with Lael, you know, tell the truth of things, use the big words, use the real words. It was, it was just the most like life-changing advice because instinct, you know, as a parent is to protect right? Yes. You don't want anything that will make them sad or afraid or anything, right? Uh, but it was the best piece of advice because it allowed me to be honest with her. And by the way, I think it's it's been so healthy for our relationship because then she can also be completely transparent with me. Well, you're giving her permission and you're role modeling it for her. That's right. And so when he died and even in the process of his dying, we were very transparent, very honest in those conversations. And so I feel like after he passed away, I didn't have to hide any of the things. And so I talked about him very actively and Mm. I still do, you know, it's especially like as she started to develop her personality, you know, or things would happen. And I'd be like, there's no way you would know that like that your dad does that. You know, like that happens all of the time. Like the way she sits cross-legged is exactly like him. It freaks wow. me out. It's very, very weird, you know? Yeah. Or like it's sometimes like an expression she will use or a way she looks at me. I'm telling you, I literally would just be like, you, dude, your dad did that. Why are you doing that? You know? That's and so I think so, some of it to her and some of, sometimes it causes me pain. You know, sometimes it's like a little pain where I'm just like, oh, man, like can't believe the man is no longer here. You know, and but, you miss him. Oh, yes. In that moment, very much so. But I think it also has the dual effect of like keeping him very alive for mm-hmm. her. Um, sometimes it brings her a lot of joy, you know, to know that like, oh, well, you know, I sit like my dad, <laughs> you know, which is like, such yeah, a that must be thing. comforting for her. Yeah. Yeah. But Lael. then it's like, Lael, is things. that her name? Yeah. Lael. Mm-hmm. Lael. I, I, I love seeing the videos that you share with her because you're sharing all of your wins you're Mm. sharing all of your successes you're sharing your life with her in a Mm. way that is so um inclusive and she's your daughter so obviously but you know what no not obviously a lot of parents don't do that yeah and and you can see like in a recent post you said that if she wasn't your daughter you would want to be her friend yes and I feel like that about my big daughter. I was a mom when I was nine, 19 years old. So I have a, yeah. a grown up daughter and I feel like that. I'm like, if you yeah. want my kid, I'd want to be friends with you because you're an <laughs> awesome woman, you <laughs> yes. know, and the that. bond you have with your daughter is, is so clear and so powerful. Yeah. 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 It really is. I, I so enjoy our relationship. Um, you know, it's very different from my relationship with my mom. How like, so? Well, in that, um, and by the way, I think the my idea of motherhood is different, you know, but I, I think maybe, and I won't speak for everybody, of course, but she grew up in a time and with a mother who was very strict on her, you know, who was not her friend. Uh, and so my mom then tried to evolve that, right? And say, okay, I'm your mom, but I also want to get to know you better you know, as, as more than just this mother daughter relationship. Uh, but that was also fraught with, that's a complicated boundary. It's a very complicated boundary. It is, you know, but I don't think she understood exactly how to navigate it also because it hadn't been modeled for her. And so she's the first generation of mother that's, that's looking at parenting differently. It's also a generational thing, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. And so now it's like, I'm looking at my daughter, right? Especially when she was born and then going through this, um, you know, with losing her father and my husband, it's, it was, um, it was transformational because I was like, man, I want to, I want to make sure that we're able to be super transparent with each other. Cause I want to know what's going on. I want to know what she's thinking. I want to know how to help. I want to know how to advise without losing the role of mother. Yeah. Right. And so it's why, like, I do emphasize the fact that I'm her mother first. I am her Mm -hmm. mother, you know, but that in another dimension, in another world, you know, different circumstances, I would absolutely want to be her friend because she is an awesome person. 
like your daughter, like you said, you know, yeah. like she's an awesome person. She's so cool. And she's yeah. so funny and she's so kind. It's like, I, I absolutely would want somebody like that in my life. Yeah. That's the best compliment that we can really pay our daughters. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, it's true. it's true. You recently left a role at Netflix and you yeah. worked at some of the, like I said, some of the biggest companies in the world. And I'm curious, what is inspiring you? What is exciting yeah. you? What are the, the challenges professionally that you haven't been mm-hmm. able to tackle yet? Like mm-hmm. where is your heart and your head at with what you want to do? Yeah. Ooh. Now, isn't that the like grand question? <laughs> <laughs> It's a big one. It's a big one. You know, so here, here's the truth of it. Um, Cause we're, we're now besties anyway. We are forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From like jump. It was like, yes. Okay. Yes, this, totally. this is, we're of the same tribe. Yes. Um, you know, I, um, this, this moment feels so different for me than any other transition I've ever made. You know, I mean, even, even like taking it all the way back to the beginning of my career, when I, when I was in college, I was pre-med. I thought I was going to medical school. You know, I did all the things. And then I took a year off, you know, in between and stumbled into this career, basically. (laughs) Um, And even that transition doesn't feel like this. And that was really scary. Mm -hmm. This is super, super scary because the choice I have is to continue doing what I've been doing, which is fine, right? I've done the things, like you said, I've been at lots of big companies. By the way, there are other big companies and yes, they would, they would like somebody like me there. That'd be fine. I could do that. Um, I could do something else. That's what I'm saying. Which is super, super scary, you know? And so right now I'm in that pivot, that inflection point. And I have been thinking so much about, um, you know, my own sort of destiny, the feeling of where I want to do, trying not to put logic in there. Yeah, where it feels right. Yes, yes. But it's so hard to do that. You know, know, it's like, it's really, really tough. And I have always made jumps and transitions and all of that just because of a feeling. You know, I, I like when I went to Uber, it was like, why? Like literally everybody was like, why would you do that? Like, why? You're at Apple. You're doing so well. I'd come off the keynote. It was like, everybody was like, oh, you're the next big thing in Silicon Valley. And then here I go down to this tumbling, crumbling company that was so, you know, it's like, but I felt it. Like, I was like, no, that's where I'm supposed to be. I, I have to go there. I know that I can help. I know I can do good there. Yeah. Your intuition led. Absolutely. And then in this moment, I'm like, okay, I knew I had to leave that. I knew that, but I didn't know where I was going to go. And that mm-hmm. is a very different feeling for me. So right now, what I'm trying to do is really be still and yeah. still not in the physical sense. I'm still running around no, within yourself, you. within, yeah. within yourself, yes. getting yes. to that quiet place of That's knowing. Right. That's right. And not be so distracted, you know, by the other opportunities, like making sure that that's actually what I want to do, you know? And I do feel like, and this is part of the difficulty. I do feel like there is unfinished business for me in the corporate space. But the question that I have for myself is, do I need to finish it? Do I need to finish it? Or can I pass the baton to somebody else to do it? Yes. Meaning if, if uh, Mark Zuckerberg came to you now that Sheryl Sandberg has left right. and said, would you take on that? Because right. God knows that company needs some of your Bose magic. Is that something you would even consider? Right. But that's this thing is that I have to actually sit with that and feel whether or not that is the right move for me. It can't be because of the math. It's not because, oh, well, look at this opportunity. You've never done that role before. You've never done it at a company that size. You haven't did it. It can't be that. And I recognize that it is, it is frustrating for the people who like to advise me. <laughs> but they advise you for a reason and they yes. know how you lead and you yes. lead with what feels intuitively right. right and where you need to be. That's right. I'm sure where you need to be to ultimately be of the most service and where that fits with your ethics and your moral compass and your 
ideals. Right. And guess what? That changes over years. It does. And, and that it, is why this yeah. feels so different. You've hit yeah. the nail on the head. It's like, I'm a different person you are. than I was you five are. years ago, than you I are. was 10 years ago, than I was 15 years ago. And therefore it's like, I've got to make the decisions based on this version of me. It can't even be on the future version. Cause that's what oh. everybody wants to talk about. Right. They're like, yeah. Oh, well, if you did this thing, then in five years, you'll be here. And it's like, well, why am I, why am I thinking about that future person? I don't even know what, I don't even know what the hell she wants to do. By the way, by the way, by the way, it's about getting present in today. Yes. And, and you've been so busy and working for so long that you probably haven't had an extended period of time to be able to get quiet and get still and do this kind of dig deep recalibration that that will have to happen before you can even know what that answer is. That's, that's exactly. I I say this because I'm in it too. Uh, Well, (laughs) see, look, (laughs) we're besties. Look at this. Exactly. (laughs) That's how I know it so well, because I'm also in it. I am in that room. Oof, I tell yep. you, it's, it's a wild, it's a wild thing. And it's, it's, um, it's a little shocking to me, you know, to be Same. at this stage in my career. Right. And be and like, life, wait, and what? have this knowledge and be like, how can I not, how do I, it's to me, it feels like it's different, but it feels similar to like when you're a teenager and you're like, Oh, where do I fit in the world? Right. But you're not, you're a grown up woman with grown ass kid. And yes. yeah. Yes, and, and all this experience, and the whole yes. thing. Yes, and a mortgage. I found and that um, you know, I made the habit, by the way, of like throwing away pro and con lists, and I stopped making those, you know, long term plans. I, I stopped doing that actually a long time ago, and now I, because I have the habit of not doing them, I don't even know how to begin doing that. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm not going to, but it is much more difficult to, like we said, get still really understand the intuitive voice and then make a decision based on that. Yes, I understand. You know, make the decision based on that. So it's actually doing less. It's doing yeah, less. I know. Oh. Can you imagine doing less? What a concept. What a concept <laughs> for type A doers. Exactly. From people who are bosses out here, you know, trying to accomplish everything, who are ambitious, do less. And, and also how incredible that your daughter is going to get to have this stage of life role mm. modeled. Yes. Because sure. our daughters also need to know that there are times where we have to slow down and go inward yes. and stay true to ourselves. That's right. That's right. That's right. And I really do hope that she will understand that, you know, as a principle for herself in her own life, you know, um, one of the things, like I said, that is the hardest to do is to just listen to yourself. You know, what do you want to do? You know, like, yes. what do I want? Yes. Um, because like we said, there are well-intentioned people who want to advise. There's all kind, there's all kind of inputs, you know? And um, I really, I really do want her to see that no one actually knows better for you than yourself. That's you know? true. And that if you, if you really take the time to consider and weigh what it is that you want, you're going to make the right decision. And that there's no, there's actually no fear in that. You know, so for me, I, yourself. I'm trying to remember that. Yeah. Constantly now. Yeah. Well, let's continue this discussion because I'm, I'm in the same space. So who are some of the voices that have most inspired you on your journey? Hmm. Gosh. And in, in so many different types of ways, you know, um, one of the earliest influences for me was my English teacher in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I was in the 10th grade. Um, she was so fascinating because, or she was so influential in my life because she was the first person who told me I was a good storyteller. Hmm. You know, no one had said that to me before. And it was interesting because like, I come from a family of storytellers, <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and Ghanaian culture is, is full of storytellers. You know, it's like how you communicate everything. Um, but my dad is an incredible storyteller, great orator. You know, and um, I think because I'd always just so admired him that I never considered that I was good at it. Not even great, just good. And she was one of the first people. And um, I hear her voice constantly, you know, even now when I am trying to create a campaign or think about a strategy, I think about the things that she said to me at that time, you know, that made me consider storytelling as my own talent, my Mm -hmm. own gift. You know, um, she probably doesn't even know that. Um, but, um, and then there have been other more practical influences. 
Spike Lee, who was one of my first bosses. Yeah. Um, he's a great influence. Like, and again, just and what a great marketer he is. What People a great know who Spike marketer. Lee is. They don't know who a lot of other directors are. Look, exactly. But the thing I learned from him, which was so important, was his unapologetic blackness. Mm. That man did not give two shits whether or not you were mad about what he said about blackness. Didn't, didn't care. And it was it was an incredible thing because I had up until that point, you know, it's like you've seen a lot of people sort of shift and change and make themselves smaller to try and fit in to acceptable culture. And he was like, oh, no, boof, I'm throwing it down. If you don't like it, so what? I actually don't have to like you at all. And and people call him all kind of names, you know, say that he has a bad attitude. And he's like, and <laughs> it sounds like he was a bit of a role model for you. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I so admired it because it was the it was one of the first times I'd actually seen somebody who was in the public eye, who had a loud voice and who didn't try to dim themselves, mm. even the sharp edges. He never tried to dull it. And I thought that was incredibly it, just absolutely amazing. And maybe I'd also say um, Ariana Huffington, who more recently has been such a, a great influence to me. Um, she always picks up the phone. And she, she does, was- doesn't she? She does that for me too. And has been, um, when I, when I launched my interview series, the conversation, uh-huh. she was on the first series and she uh-huh. helped me and has continued to be available for me as well. Whenever I've reached out, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. but isn't that remarkable? Yeah, like, it is. She's so busy. She's got so many careers and she still returns a text like yep. almost instantly. I, I yep. don't understand it, you know, but it's, it's inspiring to me because she does the job of making you and me feel connected to her, intimately yes. connected to her, uh, and does that for a lot of people. I know. Yeah. She it's walks the talk. She's one of those women that walks the talk. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? We all know who they are because we all yeah. know who the ones who don't. And she's one that does. That's that's yes. So the so the, she is an influence, you know, of somebody who really cares deeply and makes you know that she cares deeply about you has been a, a great influence to me, too. That's great to know. Yeah. Bose, thank you so much. It has been such a treat to talk to you and I can't wait to do this again. Oh, thank you so much. We're going to have lots and lots of lots of other conversations that we won't record. <laughs> yeah, just for me and you. You have been listening to VS Voices. My immense thanks to today's guest, Bozema St. John. If you love our show, please comment, like, and follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And as always, please follow me, Amanda Decadene, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. VS Voices is part of Victoria's Secret's ongoing commitment to become one of the world's leading advocates for women. To deliver on that promise together, we have created the Voices platform to do just that. Amplify the voices, represent the views, and learn from the unique perspectives of women from every background. Sharing stories bring us closer together, and it's how we move forward. Open up dialogue and raise the game. Thank you for listening.